Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Ilaria. And I'm Daphne. And this is the last episode without my partner in crime. Uh, Daphne, you were very missed. This woman is absolutely amazing. We had Nancy Collier today. She's a psychotherapist, an interfaith minister, an author, public speaker, mindfulness teacher, and relationship coach. And she knows all about things technology, not in terms of like how to do technology, but how to have an appropriate relationship with technology. I am so excited to hear your interview with her, Larry, because she's someone who I think, yes, all of us as parents, both for our kids and I think for ourselves are grappling with this idea of how do we, how do we interact with technology in a way that's not all consuming, but takes into account it's a real part of our lives and it's there in pretty much every capacity and every interaction that we have. And how do we teach our kids a healthy relationship with it? And how do we give ourselves a little bit of a break and a, and a breather from it? And I'm also obsessed with her idea about taming the monkey that is your brain. I don't know if you feel this. I feel like I get anxiety about things that I never used to get anxiety about or I let like my brain run away with itself with overthinking and thinking through and, and you know, going hashing through experiences over and over and over again. And she has this great approach to quieting the mind in a very realistic way if you're not like a big meditator, but you still want to have a little namaste in your life. I think it's really cool. Well, it's also about being present with what we're doing as we're doing it. And for us, I mean, it's been absolutely amazing having technology because we get to document our kids all the time. And by the way, we get to work from home more often. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the problem is it's really hard to create a separation from that. Mm -hmm. We could go on and on, but here is Nancy Collier. Mom! Can you please introduce yourself? So I'm Nancy Collier. I'm a psychotherapist, a mindfulness teacher, interfaith minister, and the author of a few books, the last one being The Power of Off, The Mindful Way to Stay Sane in a Virtual World. And the mother of two. And my God, I'm on mom brain. (laughs) I know, crazy. I'm the mom of a spectacular two daughters, eight and 16 and wife and all of those other things. But um, yeah, mom at the heart, I guess, of all of it, because that's where where our heart lives. Where can we follow? Where can we connect oh, yes. with you? Yes. So nancycollier.com. And there's one L in my name, C-O-L-I-E-R.com. And uh, Psychology Today, I regularly contribute to them. And Twitter at N Collier. Now, I am very, very excited to hear your wisdom and expertise on technology, technology with us, technology with our children. Um, What is the healthy balance? Is there a healthy balance? Um, Is this something that's taking over our world and we just need to, you know, cut way back? I grew up with no TV. No I grew TV. up no TV. Wow. A very, 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 and I'm terrible with um, computers. I was just telling the guys here who make this podcast go round and round that I at one point didn't know where my computer was for nine months because I put it away before (laughs) I had a kid and then I didn't find it until my baby was nine months old and the and it just doesn't occur to me I mean obviously I'm very um very active on social media so I have my phone and I I'm not very good with email but I I check my you know my Instagram and I try to keep very active on it um and I'll text with very close people that Mm. I have I rarely talk on the phone um but it's one of those things that I see is so prevalent. And my children, I mean, my children have iPads. My husband yeah. said to me at one time, he said, Hilaria, I work on TV for a living. I work in movies for a living. You can't make it a bad thing. Right. It's you not a bad to, thing. It's not right. a bad thing. The thing about technology is that it's not about freedom from technology. It's freedom in technology, right? So it's not, you can't go back. You're not going to be a Luddite, not if you're, participating member of society. But it's about bringing awareness to how am I using this in my life? Am I using it in a way that's in alignment with my deeper values, right? So am I using it in a way that interrupts my presence with my kids, with my family, with myself? Probably the most important relationship we have. Um, 
am I using it in a way that actually takes away the other aspects of my life that nourish me or that I need to feel well, right? We start to ask questions and bring consciousness to our use of technology. That includes how we are alone, how we are with our kids, how we are with friends. The the big thing that I run around the country talking about is mindful use of technology. So am I meeting a friend? Am I immediately putting my phone on the table? Mm-hmm. When I put that phone on the table, what I'm saying is, mm, you're not quite enough. Something else might come in. We know, for example, that that drastically reduces the sense of connection in that interaction, whether it goes off or it doesn't. The average person is checking their phone between every five and six minutes. Now, it's 175 checks a day, right? If they wake up in the middle of the night, 50% of people are checking. This kind of thing is, these are small behaviors, but they have a profound effect on how present we are, how much we're actually paying attention to what's happening in our life right now. So the, the, the important thing is not to throw away our phones, but for example, with our children, to encourage them to notice, how does technology make you feel? You know, when you're at a party and everybody's talking to somebody on their phone and right. they're not talking to each other, how does that feel? Yeah. Or when you have to rush home from school and get right on group chats because you can't miss anything. Yeah. You know, what's that experience like? We want to keep the dialogue open so they're noticing what is this like for me? You know, um, what's happening in your body, right? When we're always on the phone and we've always got something we're paying attention to and you know, noise and so on, we've lost touch with something very important, which is what's actually happening in our senses. All of these things are important. We make our children and ourselves aware of. But it's funny because people always say to me, you know, how do you parent in this? The first thing you know, and we all know is, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you showing? Kids don't respond to tell me something, be it. Yeah. So be present, right? Where is my attention right now? Am I really listening to this person? Am I showing up for my child? Am I here? These are questions that are profoundly important that we ask ourselves all the time. Yeah. So that's the, that's the primary thing. There are millions of places you can go, my book, Common Sense Media, you know, all different places for specifics, you know, one day off, you know, all these sorts of things uh, after seven o'clock, no, blah, blah, blah. But the main thing is consciousness of our own behavior. That's the thing. And our job as parents, I think, is to build the self-esteem of our children in a way that is solid, that's not fragile. So right now they're living on social media. You know, I get likes, yeah. I'm, I'm somebody, right. right? I went to the museum, I, I posted all the photos of me, it shows I'm a cultural person, right? Yeah. We need to build their self-esteem based on hard work and effort, things they do well that took time and were hard. And that when you're alone, the experience is just as valuable. It's right. it's valuable even if you're not sharing because that's, that's right. what I notice so much is like you know whether whether it's me, whether it's my husband, whether it's you know people that I'm viewing. It's like well, this experience isn't isn't worth anything that's unless right. I'm showing that's everybody right. that that's I'm right. having. What concerns me as I look at my kids, and I've noticed this with each one of them, is that as an, a tiny baby. They have an obsession with just the phone, mm. even when the phone is off. Yeah. Even yeah. if there Shiny is- Shiny screens. But it's just this like black, yeah. you know, boxy thing. And they they want it. They scream for it. Even if you don't show them things on it. Even mm-hmm. if, I mean, obviously they're viewing other people on it. But there, right. I, there's some, I mean, there's maybe there's like a conspiracy theory. But there's some sort of, is there like some kind of pull? Ah, and we're right. getting pulled in by whatever forces that right. make the internet work. Yes, yes, yes. Is there some sort of uh, magic potion coming yeah. off of it? Dust? Well, we do know. I, I don't know actually what Google or anybody is up to or Apple or, um, but... We do know that um, there is a huge hit of dopamine when we get on, when we get on our devices, mm-hmm. right? When you hear that ding of a notification, right? right? Something we to get, do. You yeah. feel useful. Well, and also, you know, at a very deep level, right, 
as human beings, we are terrified of emptiness. We're terrified of spaces that aren't filled, right? And so when there's something that we can do and we can attend to and we can play with, there's something very primal in us that says, oh, yes, you know, that keeps me from the gap, the place where how do I exist at a very deep sort of existential level if I'm not in relationship with something, mm -hmm. an object of attention. And so, you know, on many levels, this device that offers us a way out of our emptiness, a way out of the void, a way to escape ourselves, right? Oh, God, it's just me. You know, the minute your friend gets up to go to the bathroom at a, at a meal, you know, we grab our phone because right. it's, or we're in line. Because we're it's afraid just me. to be alone. When we're alone, we're lonely. Do you know a Ryan Mountain Dreamer? I've heard the okay, name. Okay, so there is this really great, and I've, you guys may have heard me say this before because I'm very passionate about quotes and different, you know, philosophers. Um, so she has this poem called The Invitation. Mm. And the last part of it says, I want to know if you can be alone with yourself and if you truly like the company you keep in the empty moments. That's the whole and thing. And that right. is ultimately. And, and I that is I remember it. when I was, when I first moved to New York and I, I had a phone, but it was a very, I mean, it was back then it was, I didn't, have, I didn't have social media. Facebook wasn't yeah. really a thing yet. Um, yeah, it was like a little flip phone. And I remember being so terrified when I would have to go eat alone. And it's New York. So you go into restaurants all the time and it's just as cheap as eating at home. You know what I mean? It's yeah, a very yeah. weird place that we, we ha that we have here, this city. But um, so I would go and I'd be so nervous to be sitting there and like, what do I do? And then, so I would bring a book and I'd be reading a book, but have I was to have afraid something. to just, it had to have yes. something. Yes, yes, yes. And now, you know, if I ever have that experience, I want to have my phone there. Yeah. Even if I'm not focusing on it, I, there's, I mean, for me at this point in my life, there's an element of privacy mm, in it sure. where I am, you know, it kind of is like, okay, well, she's busy. So maybe I'm not going it to. That. It's that in um, a way a book is not. A book is an invitation. What are you reading? Mm -hmm. This is, this is this I'm is like separate. Block you out. Yes. I'm blocking you out. Yes. Or the other thing that happens too is my, you know, with my children. I don't want to be using my phone in front of my children. And if I showed you how many emails I have, you'd cry. Yes. Like I am I'm so sure. bad yes. at that. I'm yes. so bad at it. Yes. And so it's like, okay, well, I'm going to do three and call Go in the bathroom. Day. Go in the bathroom but, and well, don't show them. I, I'll use the moments when I am alone. Yes. To not yes. be alone because yes. I have so much catching up to do. Because now we're in this culture right, right. where it's at you all the time. But see, that rationalization, if I might say, is a part of what keeps us from ever meeting that space, that void, that that me, because now we have this new God called productivity mm -hmm. and we all love it. You know, oh, look, I'm walking to the subway. You know, I'm, I'm doing a podcast. Isn't this great? I'm learning something. Mm -hmm. Isn't that wonderful that that works for you to stay away from you, yes. right? So what do we meet? The question, the more interesting question then becomes, what do we meet when it gets quiet? You know, what is it that we're so afraid of? And in some sense, you know, from a, from a Buddhist non-dual, whatever perspective you come from, is that that self, that person sort of disappears. There is a sort of dismantling of that because it's just a whole bunch of thoughts moving through your consciousness, a whole bunch of feelings that constantly are changing. So we find at a certain level that there isn't a self there. We can't find it. But if we're learning, if we're doing, if we're blah, blah, blah with our device and all our other things, we feel, oh, there's a me doing this. Now I'm comfortable again. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is this the 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 terror of that disappearance that happens in the silence. Obviously you had, you suggested before, you know, maybe make rules where after seven PM no more device or you know, this time no device. Yeah. I use I use um exercise. Mm -hmm. Like if I go out right. for a run, you know, no will device. I listen to well, will I listen to yeah. music? Yeah, but I kinda get to daydream and it's kind of just in the background. Yeah. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Um sometimes I'll have headphones on again just to kind of 
their block. barrier, yes, the barrier yes. to allow me, me to alone. be with myself. Exactly. Yes. Um, I will, or, you know, I get to go take a class and I get to focus on my breathing, mm-hmm, my movement. Mm-hmm. I'll go exercise at home. Yeah. That's my me time. Yeah. Um, but I have to go almost do an activity mm-hmm. for that. Yes, yes, yes. Because as we were talking about before, I, you know, when I'm actually just sitting there, I'm like, oh God, I've got 20 hundred things to do. Yes, yes, and yes. I better get yes, some of those yes, done because yes. I'm disappointing so many people right, right. now. Um, and I, again, I don't want to bring that into doing it in front of my children. One one thing, a little you know, tangent, is my one of my friends who sometimes he gets to work from home, he told me how he deals with, you know, having to answer an email or something like that in front of the kids. He'll say um, to his, his kids, he'll say, you know what? Excuse me for one minute. I have this thing for work. He'll explain yeah. what it is yeah. and I am going to answer it and I'm going to answer it and it's going to be about X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And then I get to be completely present for you. Well, that's it. You know, there's this new idea that's come along with our digital age that we shouldn't have to sacrifice anything, you know? So people say to me, well, I want to pick up my kid at school at three, you know, but I have all of this work because I'm still really technically at work. And they want me to come up with some magic way of having both. And more and more, you know, as I, as I talk to people, I'm really in the role of saying, yeah, you have to make choices. And so when, you're picking up your child and you get to have, that's one of the delights of working remotely is we get to do it and we have to say to that child, hey, mommy's still working. So there are going to be moments that I have to attend to something and uh, it's acknowledging that I can't be attentive to you completely and get to leave work, right? But I will have those moments where it's the opposite, where I'm going to put this away and it is 100% about you and we're going to go out for a walk and we're going to talk without. Yes. But one other thing I wanted to say too that I always suggest to people that come to me, first half hour and the last half hour of the day are really important bookends. So one of the things we've lost over time is this incredible art of, how could I put it, contemplation. So what's important to me? What kind of human being do I want to be in the world today? Most people, about 80% of people start their day reacting to the phone. The first thing they do is, right, and then the whole day is reactive. Mm-hmm. Something comes in, I respond, I da-da-da. But I, I really encourage people to start asking the larger life questions. What matters to me? What's important to me? Um, What fed me today? You know, what fills my bucket? Beginning and end of the day that we're creating intentionality. So we're actually looking at our life as a work in progress, not perfection, right? But progress. So what did I learn from? Where did I miss the mark today? Make the beginning and the end of the day matter. Because, you know, as I often think about, perhaps sort of too fatalistically, but if we get 80 years, we're lucky, you know, we get 29,200 days. And I think about that on a regular basis. Um, My kids are like, oh, God, with the 29,200, you know, but nonetheless, (laughs) (laughs) yes, when I'm on 201, but nonetheless, you know, um, don't just be responding to sort of the momentary movements, have an idea about this life. And so that's an important part of life. I think it creates meaning. I think it gives it value. It deepens it. And so many of the people that come in my office these days talk about what matters. You know, if, if our entire day is about, you know, look at me, I was walking on the street last week with a, a millennial and and um, we had one of those moments where a woman had a double stroller. And, you know, just as a mom, you know, the horror of walking around with the double stroller. Yeah. So, you know, we just opened the door and yeah. there's that moment. Nothing needs to be said. It's just like, I get it. I get it. <laughs> like the next 20 years of your life are this. Yeah. And um, we left and in a moment, my friend was, you know, hashtag sweet moment, hashtag kindness, mom. I did you something know? good. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, because what happens there is she deprives herself of the integration of that moment. She descri- She deprives herself of changing as a result mm-hmm. of what just happened, of feeding herself with that connective spirit. 
and gives it away to get the comments to feel, oh, look, you know, I had a moment, but she doesn't get to live it. So, you know, to be mindful that we, as you said, you know, the times when we're with ourselves matter, you know, that we're integrating those moments, not throwing them away. Right. No, it's that's that's a that's a perfect example. Um, you know what I worry about with um, I'm I'm a mom of small children. I worry. Yes. Um, so what I worry about is that at least when I was young, probably mostly because of this, you know, lack of of devices um, and, you know, and other people who are older than me were young. We didn't have this constant technology. Um, and so there was a point where we did learn to be alone with ourselves mm. for the had most to. part. Had to. Had to. When you're in the car, you That's had it. to look out the window yes. and see stuff that was yes. around you. Um, whereas now this is not the case. And I even, you know, I have a big car that has the, the TVs in the back. Ah. And I've got, I know. Yes. But I've got four screaming children. Yes, yes. And when I do that, I can figure out where yes. I'm going better. Right. And I say, I'm not going to get into an accident. You know, right. everybody's right. going to stop like punching each yes. other and doing all that yes. kind of stuff. So I'll I'll use, we don't watch movies at home, but like whenever we are to go out to our home in the right. in the Hamptons, we I will let them put on a movie yeah. that they all have to agree on. Yeah. So we have some okay. certain things. We have, we have some moments. Right. But I do realize what I'm doing as I'm doing it. And sometimes I put throw out my hands and I'm like, I yeah. just don't know how to do it any differently at this right. point. And maybe in the future when they can control themselves more, right. Right. maybe so, that's yes. going to be. Here's the thing. One of the biggest things that I tell parents, right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a caveat here to, to um, speak to the handing it off. But is let your children be bored, mm-hmm. right? You know that. We all know it. But maybe we don't realize that the imagination and self-generative spirit that we give them, we, we, we force them to develop, is probably the most important skill that they'll ever develop. Yeah. That when they're faced with spaces, they'll be able to fill them as opposed to passively receiving, right, mm-hmm. all the time. So when you're allowing your child to be bored, you're not going to be picked up by child welfare, right? You're actually doing something for your child. Very same breath, I would say, as a parent and having lived through those young years, right, Sometimes it's not possible. Yeah. <laughs> and we hand off the babysitter of the screen because we can't bear it. Yeah. And absolutely no need for judgment there. We do it with consciousness, right? We say, I don't have it. Mm-hmm. I don't have the bandwidth right mm-hmm. now to deal with this mess. So here we go. And then I might afterwards say to these kids, I'd prefer not to do this, but right now I don't have the wherewithal to deal with all of this. So we even name that I'd like to be the mom right now who could just sit with your screaming and your boredom. And sometimes I can't. Yeah. Because also we're, we're parenting at a time, we're really pioneers. I know they said it with TV. I know they said it with the calculator, you know, and all this. But this is a time where our kids' entire lives are based around a device. They're social, they're academic, they're everything, right? And we're we're raising addicts. Yeah. We are. Because it's no different. It's a perfect The MRI, yeah. You know, they sh- they light up like cocaine. Where, yeah. You know, we know this. So, and we have some really smart people getting us to be addicted, right? Yeah. Because our eyes on the screen are good for business. Right. So, we're, we're working with circumstances that have never been faced before in history, right? Our kids whose front brains aren't developed are getting these incredibly addictive devices. So sometimes we we just, we have to say, I don't know. I don't know how to do this. And right now I need quiet in order to function, right? But I will say that giving your children the opportunity to build that self-generative, imaginative uh, part of their brain is a part of our job. And it's not to make ourselves, you know, always comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. And that's another thing that I often talk to parents about, which is we're living in this time where it's, you know, hey, buddy, hey, buddy, you know, your kid, yes, is to some degree your friend, but sometimes we have to make those hard choices, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, you can't have your phone. Yeah. Because I actually, even though I know you don't know this, and won't maybe ever, but I know something you don't know, and therefore know, 
right? We're losing that in this sort of we have to be uh, liked by them. You don't. What I what I do is I try to pick my spots as as I was saying, you know, when we're in the car, which are we, I mean, we live in a city, they're not in a car very often. Yeah. Or maybe it's like a quick cab ride, but you yeah. know, we'll either take the subway, we walk a lot. Um, but when we take longer trips, that's when I say, okay, this is when you guys get to watch your movies. Yeah. Um, but then there's other times where, you know, at home we're playing, we're doing art projects, they're going off. And one thing that I've looked for as a milestone with each of my children and consistently, not just at a certain phase is, can they play alone with themselves? Can they go into their room and have their little toys and, you know, be playing or sit down and draw or one of these things? Can they do those things? Yes. And so far we're on a good we're at a good space. People tell me, I mean, my oldest is six. So people tell me that in the future, things like video games and social media, I mean, obviously yeah. these are not things that my children are, are into yet, um, that those get to be really tricky because it's not just what we're modeling for them, but mm. the pressure that they're receiving at school. Right. Well, one thing I think that's really important with social media, and we've touched on a little bit, but you know, with Instagram, with Snapchat, with all of these things, there's this idea, right, that everybody else is living this fabulous life, right? We we self-define through comparison. Right. So, you know, this one is, you know, hiking in the Himalayas again, or this one is, you know, on another uh, catamaran in Bali, you know, and whatever it is, I'm not enough. Right. And that depends on the age you are. Those things may be a rainbow loom or whatever it is. But... Um, what we really want to focus on, and again, it's a bit more subtle, but is what makes you valuable that's not about what anyone else has or doesn't have. Right. So, you know, in part of mindfulness practice really is, and it, and when we're raising kids, we're raising kids in a mindful way, which doesn't necessarily mean they're sitting down and meditating. It means that we're bringing an attitude of curiosity to who they are. So who are you? Rather than are you good or bad or better or worse or um, like this person or not like that person, um, more followers, less followers, but taking a lens that says, what are you in the absence of judgment? Yeah. Right. So we teach our children sort of that, that way of looking at themselves. What, what matters to you about you? These sort of questions planted early and asked in all different ways creates a way of looking at life and at themselves that is, what is it rather than does it measure up? Yeah. Right. So that how does that happen? That happens in our daily conversation and the attitude we bring. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, so much of a mom moms these days that I meet with is about, again, judging themselves. You know, am I doing am I organic enough? Am I? Oh, God, you know. Am I giving them anything that could kill them? Mm -hmm. Well, they're going to die, yeah. you know, so they might as well die, you know, enjoying their food. But, um, you know, this attitude right now of some perfect way we're supposed to be as mothers. And a lot of it with working with moms is taking that lens off and saying, what kind of mom are you? Not, not again, am I measuring up? Am I measuring up? It's an imperfect sport. It's a, it's a sport in which we fail. So how do we fail forward? How do we say, yeah, you know, that one I, I wish I had done better. But also this idea that there's a way it's supposed to go. You know, from the age of zero to maybe about 10, it's just chaos. It's basically the management of chaos. So if you can do that without anybody's head falling off yeah. or the house catching on fire – there's no rhyme or reason to it to some degree. So we muddle through, we do the best we can, we make choices moment to moment the best we can. But again, so much of the suffering that moms go through, and I think dads too, is I'm not the mom I'm supposed to be. We gotta throw that lens out. Because yeah. it's the lens ultimately that we're teaching our kids through comparison. When parents do a lot of self-disparaging, when we put mm. ourselves down, our children, especially when they're young, but throughout 
their entire lives, they, they, they feel almost like we're, you're the same person. Yes. I mean, my, if I get hurt, like I stub my toe, nothing dramatic, my kids worry. Yeah. That's scary. Mommy's yeah. not okay. You are part of them. I am a part of them. Yes. And so if I say, oh my God, my thighs are so fat or, oh my God, look at my wrinkles or, oh my God, my hair looks like you're this today. To them. You know, oh, I look so tired. They start to think, Oh my gosh, yes, yes. do I look like that? Because yes. everybody's saying, oh, well, you're, you look so much like your dad. You look so much like your mom. You are, and, and we're just so connected as yes. a family. So what I do and what I tell my friends as I, as I see them do it is don't put yourself down. You can laugh at yourself like, oh my God, that was so silly when I did that. You know, don't, you don't have to be perfect. Yeah. But at the same time, cut it out with, you know, just talking about your physical form or your smarts or whatever yeah. it is, because your kids are looking to you to be like, okay, I want to be like you. Don't Absolutely. try perfection, but be kind to yourself. Because when you're being kind to yourself, you teach your children to be kind to themselves. That's what it. That's how you teach them that. Exactly what you just said. What they see in us, how we relate to ourselves, is how they learn how to relate to themselves. Yeah. So again, it's not about preaching it. It's about the practice yeah. of it. And if they see you stepping away and taking moments and just putting your hand on your heart and saying, you know, having a moment of, whew, this is hard, <laughs> or whatever it is, right, you are teaching them that their experience matters. Yeah. That's the way that we do it. And, you know, so much of what I love, I'm working because I have a 16 year old with teaching my children. I think it's so radically important is it's a little bit off the technology topic, but not entirely, which is teaching them to have a certain kind of relationship with their own thoughts. So, you know, when we're younger, we everything we think, we think is profound, of course, um, and grownups believe that too, but um, that they are dragged around by what they're thinking. And early on, starting to plant in children this different relationship with thought, which is that there's thought, and then there's the one thought is talking to, which is you. And that you get to decide to some degree, which thoughts do I want to entertain, yeah. right? Which thoughts do I even believe, imagine, right? And so when you just start to plant, you know, a friend of mine who is um, in part of a 12-step program, she always talks about, you know, once you become conscious of it, you can never do that thing again. It, it sort of, it, it ruins your addiction for you. <laughs> so you start to plant ways that we ruin thinking as the be all, end all, because ultimately, if we're not being dragged around by technology, we're really being dragged around by this monkey mind all the time. And the real freedom is not just from technology for our kids, but it's seeing wow, you know, because my mind might tell me something negative about myself or whatever it's telling me, hey, do I want to listen to that? Do I want to engage with that? These are really skills of freedom. Yeah. Well, the trick to changing any kind of behavior that's not serving us is being able to get conscious in the moment. That's it. Somebody who smokes, you know, can say, I don't wish I didn't smoke. I know it's going to cause cancer. Yeah. This is horrible. It makes my breath smell bad. It makes my fingers yellow. It's it's really, really yucky. And then they light up. And then they <laughs> light up, but they go into a place of dissociation That's during it. that. That's it. And so what I would do with my, what I've done with my students and what I did with myself with my eating disorder yeah. is how I got over it was doing more and more conscious sort of trying to get into the moment when you do the bad behavior. That's it. That's which it. is the same thing. Technology. I just picked up my phone and I have no idea why I picked it up. That's I'm just scrolling. Yeah. I'm doing this. I'm looking at that. I'm refreshing the likes over and over right, and over right, again right, to see how right. quickly they Looking go up. up an ex-boyfriend I actually broke up with when I was seven. Right. 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 Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know what a great acronym is? Is wait. Why am I teching? Every time I pick up my device, I say, wait. Why am I teching? What would I have to feel if I didn't tech right in this moment, because whether we're reaching for, you know, food, we're reaching for a drink, we're reaching for a Xanax, we're reaching for an iPhone 10, there's something we're feeling we don't want to experience. We don't really want the substance at the end of that, really, truth be told. We don't want to feel what we're feeling. So when, as you're saying, as someone who gets it deeply, if we can create that pause, that gap of, wait a minute, what's here now 
that I'm finding excruciating or that I'm finding that I'm impulsively, habitually getting myself out of in this sort of unconscious, habitual way. When we break that habit, that impulse, that unconsciousness, we're 90% there. Yeah. Yeah. It's so the it's same mostly is awareness. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, not just that it, having teaching our children um, to to be a certain way, but looking at ourselves. I mean, do we ever want to be controlled? If there was a person saying, I'm controlling you, I'm, I am going to lead you around on a leash, mm. but we don't look at a phone that like that's yeah. controlling us, but truly, truly, truly it is. And yes. if we start to look at it at that, really look at it as an addiction, yes. just as sweets, just as cigarettes, just as whatever, bad relationships, whatever it yes. is, this phone is an addiction and it is controlling you. It is controlling you. And part of what makes it, and we need to be aware of this too, part of what makes it such a difficult addiction to break. You know, if we're addicted to TV, sooner or later we don't go to work, right? Because we can't get off the couch if we're addicted to uh, opioids. You know, sooner or later our life falls apart. If we're addicted to drink, you know, we crash the car. This is a condoned addiction. We've all drunk the Kool-Aid. And it's one that it's hard to live completely without. And this was the issue with eating my eating disorder. disorder. Exactly. Yes. So, you know, my my husband has been very public that he hasn't he's been sober for like 35 yeah. years. And um and that but that's one thing that you don't have to drink. Out. That's an easy thing. Yeah. You have to eat. Yeah. And you sit down with your addiction Three times a day, at least. I'm yeah, going to yeah, put on yeah, snacking on top yeah, of that. Yeah. Food is constantly around, even more than alcohol. That's right. And, and you have to eat to survive. Freedom and, in, not freedom from. Yes, exactly. So the, the trick with, with figuring that out was I really did have to find some sort of balance. Not a perfect balance, yeah. but a balance that is within certain margins. Yes. And that's the same thing with technology. We Most of us have to use it. I have to use it for work. You have to use it for work. And we love it too. And we love it. And it's, I mean, I'm a news junkie. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm like on my, the edge of my chair with now. what's going on right now. <laughs> I can't get on. Exactly. I'm like, I must yeah. know. But at the same time, I also, one thing that I've really learned over the past handful of years is who is really important in my life? Who is my community? And I look at the little people that I've created. I look at my husband. You know, my family is far. My family is in Spain, so I have to use technology in order to yeah. connect with them. But that I feel like is a little bit different than when I'm like mindlessly scrolling through Absolutely, things. Absolutely, yes. Um, but, you know, there there are my, my moments. And learning, this is the next point I'd like to make, the learning the power of no. I mm-hmm. have gotten my my motto right now, my my mission right now, I should say, is being able to tell people no, yeah. and and saying, you know what, I just realized I'm so connected and I'm so up to my eyebrows with all yeah. of this kind There's of stuff. There's not enough of me. There is not enough yes. for me to go around, and it's not that I don't care, and it's not that I don't want to. It's just that I can't. I just can't. And people yes. respect that. They really respect that. And and a part of what we're all struggling with is in this digital world where it feels again like everything should be possible everything should be possible. You know, I had a couple in my office last week and on their date night, you know, she leaves her phone on because their kids might call. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he said, I feel lonely in the date night. And, you know, again, she wanted me in another example to come up with a way that she could be available to her kids who were late teens and also have this intimate date night with her husband. And again, I'm in the position of saying, don't get to have both. You have to say no to one or the other. So we came up with a plan, you know, that her late teen kids, you know, would know that during that time she was not available and so on. But we have this new paradigm, this new attitude that we shouldn't have to say no. And yet, as you're saying, time imaginary or otherwise, depending on what you believe, is a reality in the relative world. And our efforts and our energy and our ability to, you know, be present is actually somewhat, it's limited. And so being able to say, what really matters to me? This at the end of the day, what we sort of started talking about with what matters to me, and that can only be determined by me. Mm-hmm. And then how do I live that life in a sort of kind way? As you say, you can say no kindly and in a way that's very conscious that mm-hmm. people then say, oh, 
maybe I could practice. Exactly. And I'm not making something up. They know that I'm being 100% honest. You know, people will ask to email me and I say to them, I actually just don't email. I'll email maybe like once a week when maybe three emails and it's just random. It's just random which ones, you know, if somebody who's working with me and we're very close and agent, my manager, they'll text me and they'll say, Ilaria, you need to read this contract. (laughs) And I'll scroll through and I'll try to find it amongst a million junk mails. Um, But I mean, I feel like we need to know that we're enough, regardless of how many followers you are, you have. And it's been interesting for me growing a relatively large social media in the grand scheme of things. Um, I always try, not not that this excuses anything, but I always try to call it our community, our page. I believe that it is my job to teach people so that they outgrow me. Yeah, I believe that I watch them and I can learn from them so I can help people more and I can help myself more. So when people come to my page, they're giving me advice. I'm getting advice. And there's times when we can do and there's times when we're struggling with something and I try to be funny. I try to be positive. Um, but ultimately, I realized that this is not just a page about me. This is about yeah. an us. Yeah. So trying to Beautiful. create a platform where we're all where we're all connected. But what's been interesting in in growing that is my friends are still my friends, mm-hmm. and my friends are still very important, and my children mm-hmm. are very important. And that, in the end of the day, I can turn my phone off. And that is my my very nuclear community, my right. very small community. That's your food. That's my food, exactly. And making them realize that, that no matter what numbers go mm-hmm. up on your phone, no matter what kind of attention you get, this is what is the most important. Yeah. And whether you have five followers or you have five million followers, it's the same stuff. It's the same stuff. And, you know, part of what's changing, and, and I speak to hope to stop it from changing in a sense. But as we've bled over, you know, that the the Trojan horse of the phone coming in from work and um, the loss of separation between public and private. Yeah. And so, as you're saying very insightfully, we still have to draw that line and hold the sacred, the relative sacred, our sacred, Mm -hmm. the I sacred. in, in a in a light that um, honors it, that these are our people, right? We have to draw that line between the public and the private, um, and the 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 overarching us, yeah. and then the I, the sort of the little I, and our family and yeah. our friends. Um, we have to do that for ourselves now because it's not built into the system so much anymore, right? Um, we do want to know what your favorite thing is. So Uh-oh. our favorite thing is it could be, um, I notice you have a ball in your hand. I always have a ball in now, my hand. Now, well, why do you have a ball in your hand? Well, I'll tell you a story about the ball. Every Sunday, my family and I, we go to diners. That's crazy. That's the truth. We go to a different diner every Sunday and all over Connecticut and so on. And in a lot of diners, there are those little um, things you can put a quarter in. And every weekend we get a ball. And um, I've loved these balls, the truth is, since I was born. And so um, as a grown up, what they do is they connect me with my body. So whenever I'm doing all the interviews I do and all the talks I do and everything, um, I hold one of these as a reminder um, to come back out of my head and down into my body to what grounds me, to what's below my thoughts and all the ideas, to the present moment. Because, you know, as you know, the mind can live in the past and live in the future and all these places, but it has a bit of an allergy to the present moment. The body, on the other hand, is a direct portal into now. It can't be anywhere but now. So when I touch this ball, it reminds me to come back down into this present moment. And of course, it has all the delight of my daughters sitting in the booth with me at the diner. So it has all that yumminess. Amazing. Thank you so much. This is a 
All right, guys, that was Nancy Collier. Now, I have to say through the entire episode, I'm watching her take this very small little ball and like running it through her fingers. And it was kind of like hidden for a while. And I was like, what is that in her hand? And then the more we talked about like, you know, being present and like don't dissociate and all this kind of stuff, I started realizing that she is doing this to have a tactile experience to kind of stay calm and stay present. And you, you know, you learn a lot about like public speaking Mm. and different techniques that people have. I loved that this sort of ball idea that she has. And then she had some cute stories, obviously, about, you know, how she goes out with her her children and they, you know, always get these like rubber balls from these like cheap little vending machines and stuff like that. Stuff that I aspire to when my children are out of the choking house. Uh, I know. I was going to say, you probably do not love yeah, this. No, no small balls. But you know what else I think it probably does is it's the... You know, the way that people who try to stop smoking, the hardest thing is the oral fixation part of it, just like having something to put in your mouth and and to pass the time. I think, interestingly, with technology, a lot of it is just tactile fixation. It's just needing something to do with your hands. And I love this idea that the ball is obviously keeps her present and keeps her hands busy. So it's not, um, so it's not as, as like, you know, attractive and, and compelling for her to well, go as, the phone. As we talked about in the interview, you, your mind is constantly thinking about things in the future and thinking about things in the past and thinking about different fears and sort of ambiguous yes. maybes. And the only time that our mind can be present is when we're focusing on what our body is experiencing in the moment. And because of this, this is what I teach in my yoga classes. So because our body has a physical reaction to all of our different thoughts, if I am thinking about something that happens tomorrow, my body's going to have a physical reaction to that. If I think about something that happened in the past and it was like really great, my body's going to have a physical reaction to that. You know, good, bad, whatever. Our body is constantly relaxing and tightening up. But the moment that we go into now, how are my hands? How where am I sitting? Into these tactile experiences, then the mind has to start to focus on the body right here, right now. And I believe that's the only way to find this present moment. I love that. Well, I hope we can have her back because she sounds awesome. Oh my gosh, she was And this was a great interview. And now it's time for our favorite things. Now it's time for our favorite things. All right, guys. So this week, my favorite thing is a book called Waking the Tiger by Peter Levine. And it's all about somatic experiencing. Now, this is something I got very into when I was um, really struggling with my eating disorder. And whether you have an eating disorder or you smoke or you, you know, have OCD or you just stress too much and you have something that's a little bit, you know, not I don't want to say more mild, but not as, you know, socially diagnosed, whatever it is, you're doing a behavior that you want to stop doing. And how I learned to get over my eating disorder was really to wake up and find that present moment in the moment as I was doing it. Because I could like literally sit on the couch and be like, yeah, I know I shouldn't throw up. I know I should eat better. I know I should, you know, allow myself to eat after 5 p.m. when I wouldn't let myself. And I had all these crazy rules that I would go through. And how, but then I would go and do the same behavior. So I could talk about it. I knew it was bad for my teeth throwing up. I knew that it was bad for my, you know, my, my chest and my throat and everything. Um, you know, my hair would break. My, my nails were really weak. I was like 95 pounds. I was really not in a great space, but then I would continue to do the same behavior. A smoker can say, Hey, yeah, I know I shouldn't smoke. I know it's killing me, but then they continue to do it. They open up the pack. They start to like, you know, tap it. Well, it's not rational behavior. Well, you kind of, you go into a place of dissociation where you really are are not present and not capable of creating true change in the moment. So what you do, and the, the, Peter Levine wrote this book um, that really teaches you how to have these experiences to, to get more present in the moment that you want to change. So you don't have that, oh God, I did it again later on and you have all that shame and then you don't know what to do about it and you feel like change is impossible. So I highly recommend the book. Um, it is one that you should read slowly. You might have to come back to different pages. It's not a quick read, but it does have some really strong like nuggets of information that I found to be life-changing. I love that. Um, my favorite thing was going to be a healthy snack, but I'm going to save that for another week. Um, we always love we snacks. We love healthy snacks, me? but I've got a million of them, so I'll give a I'll give a good one for next week. But I but because what you just said was so powerful and and reminded me of something that I started doing this year. My sister Arabella is in a graduate course in psychology right now, and she's 
Um, you know, she's always been the sibling that really does the the hard interior work purposefully. Like I think all of us sort of come to it in different ways. And, I, and I've spoken a lot about my own weight loss journey, being a heavy kid in a family full of health nuts, um, trying to figure out how to create a healthy lifestyle that would let me still maintain my love of food, but but come to terms and be able to see the way that my food was about my emotional experience of eating more than my physical experience of eating and wanting to create a power dynamic where I was in the driver's seat, not the food I was craving or wanting to eat. So I've done a lot of, I've done a lot for myself in terms of getting to the root of that emotional eating and and realizing that for me, a lot of it came from, um, you know, my mother and my grandmother are both amazing cooks and and cook for tons of kids and and being in their kitchen, being with them was always the happiest place for me. It was where you went to get the gossip. It was where you went to learn about what our family is and share those traditions and learn those recipes since they're obviously not not written down. Um, and as the oldest daughter, I was always sort of like in the mix with them. Um, and I feel like I grew up in the kitchen. So it was for me, the eating was the emotion, was the best possible way to show and share love with people that I love the most. So having to figure out places, ways to replace that love or replace that experience of the relationship w- with them was really challenging, but it was through that work that I was able to not only create, you know, a healthy lifestyle program that really worked, but also to, and and lose the weight that I needed to lose, but also, you know, be able to do it in a way with that, that never sacrificed the way that I love to cook and share that love with people that I cook for. Something Arabella shared with me though, that she learned in her study was, um, it's, I think it's called free association journaling. So every morning at this time, she might do it differently now, but when she told me about it, every morning when she woke up for five minutes, which is not a lot of time, she would just, she would open a blank journal and she would just write, like not with any intention of I'm going to write what I'm going to plan to do today. Or there was, I think in this today, we really want to have goals. We want to like set a set, like we're going to write everything we want. We have to-do lists so that we can get everything we need to get done. And we try to structure our day and be more efficient. And I think the premise of this practice is to just get to like this subconscious, to get into what your brain is actually thinking about, even though you're trying to put all of these structures around it to make it more efficient. And so she does this free association writing five minutes in the morning and five minutes at night before she goes to bed. And I've, I started doing it um, before I had Gigi. And, you know, I'm going to get back to it once my five minutes before and after bed are more set in stone because there's no such thing as bedtime for me right now. Um, but it was really helpful to me in terms of, as you say, like, you know, I per, Perfect for this episode, quieting quieting the the crazy monkey in your brain, but also um, allowing your brain to push to the surface the things that you are grappling with that you might not even be aware of that I think is really powerful, whether you're struggling with eating issues or emotional issues or relationship issues. Um, you know, being a mom comes with a million different roles, and I think that we are always looking for ways to be more gentle with ourselves, and this was something that I, I found really valuable, and it's free. So get yourself a blank journal. Okay, guys, thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week. All new Mom Brain Season 2. So exciting. (laughs) (laughs) This is actually kind of a big deal, Dap. We finished our first season. I I mean, this is amazing because we, we literally started talking about this like this idea on playdates and we're like, wouldn't it be amazing if we could like make our mom community bigger and bigger and bigger. And like, here we are. And we just finished chapter one. Thanks to you guys. Thanks to you guys. Such fun conversations and to the gentleman in the room. Yes. Senor Cal, Senor (laughs) Alfred. Yeah, no, it's really, it's like, 54 54 episodes. episodes. It just shows, you know, you get a, you get a village. You get you get a couple of uh, you know <laughs> loopy moms, loopy mommies, <laughs> and we're all good. There's so much to discuss and so much more coming up this next season. So please stay tuned, guys, and don't forget to find us on Instagram at MomBrain. We're on YouTube, MomBrain. Um, email us MomBrainPod at gmail.com. Rate, review, subscribe, all of those things. Share with your friends. Let's make season two even more explosive than season one. Not like an explosive diaper, <laughs> just like an explosion like an exploding of crazy boob. <laughs> explosion of crazy mom ideas. It's going to be great. All right, guys. See you in season two. Ciao. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group original production. <laughs>